My name is Pastor Derek. If you don't know who I am, I want to welcome you to Connect, and I'm so glad uh, that you're here for uh, kind of a, a start to a new series we're entitling Mission Impossible. How many grew up on Mission Impossible? Anybody? Old school Mission Impossible. Okay, new school Tom Cruise. Who's the Tom Cruise people? Okay. All right. Some people like him. Some people don't. I don't know what it is. People have this love-hate thing with Tom Cruise, you know? Oh, he's so cute. And other people hate his guts. Um, but anyway, I grew up on both those. I was kind of like married to the two generations. And uh, Mission Impossible, we're going to compare to really uh, Jesus' life uh, in the final week of his life. What we know uh, kind of from a theological standpoint is what's called Passion Week. And so some of you, how many raised Catholic? Raised Catholic in the church? Raise your hand if you raised Catholic. Okay. So that's most of you, like 70% of our church uh, comes from a Catholic background. And so you're familiar with, you know, terms like Lent and probably Passion Week. But uh, Passion Week's that, that last week before Jesus goes to the cross. And, and during that particular week, um, he, because he had one week to live, his focus seems to increase. His, his uh, precision about the points he wanted to make uh, elevates. And I think if you, and you knew you had one week left on earth, uh, you would increase your focus about what you want to say to people that you love and that you care about, yes or no? Like, if I just had one week, like, I got, I mean, I got to meet with Devin. You know, I got to meet with Stacy. I got to talk to my kids. I got to talk to my grandkids. There's some things that, that I need to say and some things that I need to do. And so uh, the same is true of Jesus. And the stories that we're going to talk about, uh, they're real. They, these things happened. And in this week, um, the entire nation uh, of Israel is focused on Jesus and his life. And you can see uh, in the scriptures, just so you can understand how important this Passion Week is, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which is sometimes referred, it's, it's referred to as the synoptic gospels, um, one-third of the text in those three gospels is about this week of Jesus' life. Uh, the Gospel of John which some people think if you had to prioritize a, a book in the Bible, some people would say, get the book of John. Some people would say Romans, if you could only have one. But the Gospel of John, half of the Gospel of John is about this week that we're talking about. And so there were these critical messages. These You, you can see, uh, in a sense, Jesus' mission priorities are revealed during uh, this Passion Week. And he, Jesus, was sent by God on a mission oh, with a one-way ticket to later provide us a one-way ticket back to him. You catch, you catch that? But during this week, the intensity kind of increases. It's as if there's a fuse and time's about to run out. And God gives these instructions to, to Jesus. And should he accept them, you know, uh, this mission impossible, he could save a world that was about to self-destruct without this rescue operation from God. And if, if he accepts it, uh, these instructions will self-destruct in 60 seconds. No, you guys know the, the, the story there. And so he says Jesus' own words, but taken from the paraphrase, message translation. Jesus says something like this. He says, I want the world to know that I love, I love my dad. And I do what my dad tells me to do right down to the little details. So God the Father from headquarters gives Jesus this special assignment. Uh, he reveals this thing to him. Jesus unpacks it for some of his posse, some of his disciples. Interestingly enough, this mission impossible, they didn't get it on the front end. In fact, they all abandoned him. He's the only one left to accomplish this mission all by himself. They didn't understand the mission until after it was completed. 
Jesus is there doing this incredible task by himself. Uh, and while he's on this week to this big day that we celebrate known as uh, the, 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 the uh, cross, the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, on that path, he kind of unpacks four messages. And we're going to do that over the next four weeks. And so today we're going to talk about Jesus when he went to church, and we'll come back to that in a second. Next week we're going to talk about uh, his message to us about the importance of his partner, uh, his silent partner, the Holy Spirit. And in fact, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit more than everybody thinks. Uh, in the Gospel of John, three whole chapters, John 14, 15, 16, four chapters, John 14, 15, 16, and 17, that's four, that was three, this is four, um, is all about the Holy Spirit. He says, I want you to know something. I'm going to go. He's going to come, and I'm about making this right, heaven and hell right, uh, is securing people eternally. But while you're here, the Holy Spirit's about helping you here. And you're going to need him. So I'm going to get out of here so he can help you. The, the next week, everybody say the next week, we're going to talk about what's sometimes referred to as the Seder Supper, uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, Passover meal. Uh, we call it today the Eucharist or communion or sometimes just simple giving thanks. Um, I like to call it the progressive dinner. Uh, but we're going to talk about communion. And so in this particular Sunday when we do that, instead of having communion earlier, some of you who are frequent flyers or family members of Connect, you know that about once a month we have uh, communion. And just, just, just so you know, um, we believe in communion, but the Bible doesn't say that you have to do it every week or every day. It says as often as you do it, remember me. It doesn't say do it often. It says as often as you do it. Don't forget me. And so we try to do it, though, with some frequency and regularity. We don't just encourage it here in church. We encourage it in small groups. And, uh, but we're going to have communion, not just early in the service, but I'm going to teach on the significance of communion. Because I think sometimes you don't understand communion or grasp it, uh, the fullness of it, the participation with um, the presence of Jesus in that experience. It's more than a memorial. And, and then we're going to have a communion at the end of the message and worship together. It's going to be an awesome service. And then the following week, which is Palm Sunday, we're going to sort of celebrate Good Friday. I know that's kind of weird, but, but uh, rather than putting like, you know, palm leaves down the aisles and have donkeys come down and sing, you know, kind of kumbayas, we're going to uh, emphasize the cross because Good Friday, uh, we don't have a Good Friday service at Connect because we have so many services for the Easter weekend. It's just too much. And so we're going to have kind of our Good Friday the previous Sunday. Does that make sense? But it's so important, though, to talk about the significance of the cross if you're going to really appreciate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So all of this series is, is an on-ramp to Easter so that when we get to Easter Sunday, which is the high holiday for Christians, where we celebrate a risen Lord. Can I get an amen out here? In other words, the thing that separates us from all the other religions of the world is not the teachings of Jesus. It was an event a man said he was going to die, and he came back to life, and it happened. So the thing that makes this faith that you guys participate in is evidence. It's fulfilled prophecy. It's, it's changed lives. It's a world that's been turned upside down because a man died and came back to life. And our preaching and what I'm saying right now is useless according to Scripture. 
in 1 Corinthians if that didn't happen. But I believe it did, and I believe many of you do as well. Can I have an amen? So all this is building up to Easter. Speaking of Easter, um, I want to make sure you guys understand a few things about Easter. I think if you kind of see the roadmap, you can participate better. But uh, Easter is, is a whole weekend, so we have Saturday services, Sunday services. We have two on Saturday. Uh, the times are posted online. You also have cards that should be given today for those services. I'm sure they're all over Facebook and other places and Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. But we have services on Saturday, also on Sunday, six services over the weekend. And uh, you need tickets for Easter. So if you have been a member of, of Connect uh, prior to last year's Easter services, a change is we don't just need you to get a ticket so we know how to prepare uh, our dream team, we need, you need to have tickets to get in the building. Now, the tickets are free. Everybody say free. free. Okay, but you got to have a ticket. Tickets are available now. We would love it if you would start selecting services earlier to help us in our planning, but you need tickets to come to church on Easter weekend. It's like no other services. We need that because it's just going to get swole up in here, okay? And we're going to need some help. So kind of the church basically doubles on Easter. The second thing, another part, I don't know if I'm second, third, fourth, wherever I am in this announcement, uh, Easter weekend is a great time to invite your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your family. The highest chance of getting a yes to an invitation is on Easter. It's a fact. And so, in so many words, I'm challenging myself. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a bringer. I'm an inviter. And I want to encourage you to be a bringer and be an inviter. And so, if you believe what I believe, and that is Christianity is like breathing. You take it in, great. The question is, did you give it away? So if you want to stay healthy, you inhale and exhale what you receive here on a Sunday morning. And one of the simplest ways to do it is just say, come and see. Come check out my church. Here's a card to tell you when it is. I'd love to sit with you. Which service would you like to go to? I'll buy you brunch or lunch after on me if you don't like it. Okay, so there's just some different ways you can get uh, people to come to church. And I just think you should, I think if you love something, you tell somebody. You give it away, Right? So I believe, how many love your church? You love Connect? Okay. So let's, let's talk to people about it. Let's give it away. I believe God's going to bless your efforts during this the particular season. Another thing about Easter services is we're doing a survey on the Easter weekend services, specifically designed for the people you're going to bring. In other words, one of the reasons people, uh, people have this idea that church is irrelevant, it doesn't have value, and, and they have issues with Christianity, they have issues with God, they have issues, really they don't have issues with God as much as they have with people in church. But we're going to give people an opportunity to ask their toughest questions in a survey, and then we're going to design a series around those questions starting two weeks after Easter. We call it You Asked For It. So our most popular series is, that we do annually is called You Asked For It. So the whole series is about your your concerns, your questions, your problems, we'll survey that on Easter. It'll be for you, but it's even more so for your guests. So whatever their obstacles are, say, hey, present those, and they're going to talk about those, and maybe that'll help you out. Does that make sense? The week after Easter, so that's two weeks after, we do a whole series on that. The week after Easter, we're having a baptismal service for people that want to take that next step in their journey of faith. My pastor will actually be speaking that Sunday, and um, we're gonna, he, he just wrote a book, and we're going to give that away to everybody who wants one. Amen? So that's what's coming up. Amen. So we're going to get into our message. I'm going to talk to you today. Get your worship guides out. I hope that you're going to take notes because we believe note takers are. 
Amen, amen, amen. And so um, I hope you feel a little pressure to take notes because I'm good with that. Uh, <laughs> because I think you forget, you know, the, the mind forgets what the pencil and pen remember. So you want to kind of put things down. I want to talk to you about passion. Now, when I say passion, some of you are thinking, okay, he wants to try to help us increase our passion. That's not what I'm going to talk to you about because actually you all have a lot of passion. It's already there. It's just often misdirected. Can I get an amen from this church? Sometimes our, I'm passionate about stuff. Like I don't have a problem with passion. We were just on vacation uh, this last week. Uh, that's why I, I, you know, I got down and got brown. Come on, everybody. I'm a little tan today. I realize that. These are not tanning beds. This is real vitamin D response. Uh, but um, uh, when we were on vacation, every single day, our passions revolved around food. What are we going to eat for breakfast? What time do you want to go? What we, how much longer before we can eat? We just ate breakfast. Well, let's go to lunch now. You know what I mean? We want to get ahead of the line. What are we going to do for dinner? Are we going to go out? Are we going to go to the... And it was just the whole thing was about food. And it was glorious. <laughs> glorious, glorious, you know? And so I love food. I'm on a seafood diet. I see it, I eat it. And so people... Food, food, food. We're passionate about food. We're passionate sometimes uh, about sports. How many people love sports? Anybody sports fans out here? All right. I couldn't believe this in the previous, two, previous services, but I'm still going to go for it, hoping that some people believe and are Christians here. But how many love the uh, March Madness NCAA tournament? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, man, there's just not that many in here. This is uh, The first two services hurt me, and you hurt me too. I've been pastoring this church for 27 years, 17 years as a senior pastor, and there are not more basketball fans in here. You guys need to get saved. It's basketball time. It's tourney time. It's huge, okay? Anyway, uh, we all have passions. Some of you guys' passions may be different. You're passionate about Target. Oh, yeah, I'm starting to come for you now. I'm starting to spot where you are. You know, some of you are passionate about sushi. All right, okay, I know, I know. You're out there. So the point is, Movies, you know, we went to the movies the other night, and I came back <coughs> from watching uh, Captain Marvel with my family. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You feel, Holy Ghost just came in the room. And after that, I wanted to watch another movie. What is the matter with me, you know what I mean? So I'm passionate about <coughs> certain things. And anyway, the point is, some of your passions are there. They're just, sometimes, they're misdirected. You can be, I felt like Chris Mendes right there. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can find yourself, you know, passionate about certain things, but sometimes they can go too far. It's not so much bad things, but it's me good things that can kind of distract us. I personally think, just as a little sidebar, we need to be more passionate about church. Now, I'm not saying that as a pastor. First, I am. But I'm saying that as a husband, and I'm saying that as a father. I think sometimes people are not really passionate about the house of God, which we're going to talk about today. I heard a Sunday school teacher was teaching the kids some things, and she asked a question. She said, you know, uh, before we go to church, why do we need to be quiet in church? This little boy raised his hand and said, because people are sleeping. <laughs> no, Johnny, no, 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 no. See, but the truth is, I've been in ministry 27 years now, and and. and and I've seen some things now. And, and when I look at the success rate, let's just say, of families, and please don't be discouraged what I'm going to say because you can jump on this bandwagon at any time. But when I look at success of families, it was because they raised their families in church. 
Now, I was, I was raised in church, okay? My mom and daddy made us go to church. I mean, sometimes, there were years of our life, we'd been on vacation, we still went to church. And if we didn't go to church, dad was going to have church at the house. We had church in the morning before we went to school. Like, we would just, that's just what we did, you know? And, and, and it wasn't, our church wasn't perfect, but bless God, I went to church. And my kids grew up in the church. My kids, when we weren't in church, played church at home. I mean, hello. I mean, that's just insane. But my, church, my kids are still in church today serving God, bless God. And so listen to me. If you don't make church a priority, well, I hear parents say things like, well, you know, my kids need their rest. You know, they're going to need to get some sleep. You know, we, everybody needs a day off. Listen, that's the devil talking to you, trying to pull you away from one of the most important investments you can make in your entire life. If you won't get your kids out of the playpen, one day you're going to be trying to pull them out of a state pen. I'm just telling you, you want to make the investment now because it will pay off later. Make the house of God a priority. Can I have an amen out there? All right, I'm fired up. Praise the Lord. So one day Jesus goes to church. Imagine Jesus coming in the flesh to church like we worship his presence. That We want the spirit of Jesus to be present, whether it be communion or worship or the word. Absolutely. But what if he was physically here? Do you know a couple times when Jesus showed up, to, showed up to church? It was a little scary. One time he shows up to church and he watched everybody's giving. <laughs> Silence of the lambs right now. When I said, yeah, you read it in the Bible. He just sat there and just watched everybody see. Oh, hmm, oh, hmm. Now, I'm not sure he made those faces or made those noises, but he watched everybody's giving. And he noticed a woman who gave very little, but actually proportionately gave the most. But another time he went to church and he pulled out a whip. That he made because he didn't like what he was seeing in the house of God. In fact, uh, Jesus shows up, you know, kind of on the scene, bursts onto the scene early in his ministry. He's been raised, 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 raised as a child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and the stature and admonition of the Lord. And then John chapter 2 does this incredible miracle at a wedding, right? And he performs this miracle and he turns water into alcohol. Can you imagine? I'm like, Jesus, it's like, Okay, what kind of miracle are we going to do? Oh, yeah, we're going to make alcohol at a wedding. Interesting. It's one way to, you know, get friends, you know, like get followings. You know, you're, you became a public figure overnight. Your social media went just, you know, crazy high because he just went to a party and created alcohol. That would be like you starting a small group with a keg party. <laughs> That's what Jesus did. That's how he started his whole ministry. And then he gets this following, and all these groupies are following him. And then he does a, a, a miracle on the Sabbath. Ooh, that shakes things up. And then he starts recognizing women and empowering them and seeing them as equals. Oh, and he's doing all this stuff. And in the middle of all of that, the religious are fired up, and they're so mad and frustrated. But they can't stop it because it's just this momentum, you know. Jesus, everybody's going crazy. And then on Palm Sunday, he's rolling in. Everybody's singing, you know, songs about Jesus, you know, and he rocks, and he's the greatest. He knew not to get all affected by that because he knew that the praises of men would never supersede the praises of God. And Scripture records that he was just wise about that. But what he did with all that fame and all of that, you know, hoopla is something so radical that none of us would have done in that situation. He turns all that situation and he decides, I'm going to take this opportunity I have to get people fired up about God and fired up about the house of God. That's what he did with this opportunity because why? Because he knew you and I would struggle to stay on fire for God. I know that about myself. I want you to know something at the outset of this message. This message is so for me. 
It's so for me. And it's, I believe it's so for you. I think if you're honest, you know you're not as on fire for God as you once were. Some of us, I just, I don't know. Some of us once in a while, you got to get fire for God. you got to get on fire. Turn to your neighbor and say, fire. fire. Come on, say it like you mean to say, fire. fire. Where else can you say that and not run out of a building? Come on, everybody. You can only do that in church. But Jesus goes to church. In John chapter 2, verse 14 and following, I'll just unpack the last verses here because they gave me uh, 12 through 17, but I just want the last few. But he goes to church and he finds people, men, selling stuff, making church a business. And some of you are back in church, but you might be back rowing it because you saw the business side of church and it discouraged you. You saw that the church became kind of a marketplace. It became kind of a machine. And, and you sit back there and you're, well, how did you get to Mexico? Where did you, did you spend the people's money? No, no, I spent my own money. I get a, I get a salary just like you, and I saved up, and, and I used my capital one points after three years, bless God, and I cashed them in for my flights. Thank you very much. All right? Just to encourage some of you. But people are sometimes out there. I know some of you didn't need that, but some, there may be a couple that needed that because you want to, where do you get that tan? How much that cost? Who paid for that? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. People, are you, are you guys okay with me right now? Here's, here's the thing, right? <laughs> there's, there's just this, this tendency sometimes to turn sometimes ministry into a machine. And Jesus was upset about it. And so he makes a whip and starts cleaning people out. That's why we don't sell coffee and CDs and T-shirts. Why? Because tithers pay for everything that's happened here anyway. I'm not going to turn around and charge you for it. You paid for it. So when you're just faithful to do what you're supposed to do, why would I turn around and charge you for it? That's crazy. But and by the way, churches that are containers of blessing will always bring skepticism. Churches that are conduits of the blessing of God will eliminate skepticism. So we take in, but we give it away. We take in, but we give it away. Last quarter of last year, there were so, much, so many opportunities to give and pour out blessing on other people. People are like, you know, like, there's just so many things. What should I do? It was awesome. It was just awesome. I'm having a good time all by myself. Praise the Lord. Okay, so Jesus goes on. He's in church, whips people into shape, flips over tables, says, take this, this business machine side. I don't want that in my father's house. And he says, he basically in so many words says, the zeal of God has consumed me. Or one translation says, the zeal for God's house has consumed me. I believe both apply. That we as Christians need to have a zeal for God, and we have to have a zeal for his house. Because I think they're partners. I don't think you can say you're on fire for God if you're not a part of his family. Oh, this is, that was a better chance to say amen. And so, I just want you to know, this is about setting your affections on things above, not just on earthly things. I need to do that. And I think some of you need to do that. And so zeal in Webster's Dictionary means white hot, boiling over, an ardent pursuit of something. Are you pursuing God? Are you going after God? Or are we just kind of like waiting for God to come to us? Are we actually upset with God? Are we giving God the Heisman? God wants you to be fired up for him and for his house. And sometimes it's the bad things, the bad passions that are pulling you away, Often, it's the good passions that are trumping the most important things of God. 
It's not always the bad. Sometimes it's the good that keeps us from the best. And so as we ramp up to Easter, I hope you be in church on a weekly basis. Make it a priority. And that you apply some of the things that we're talking about today because it literally can change your life. Now I want to give you four things that God gave me to give you to redirect your passions. Is everybody tracking with me out there? Here's the first one. Write this down if you're taking notes. Is have a passion for worship. Have a passion for worship. Now, I'm not talking about worship that we just experienced, though that is a form of worship. I love our worship ministry. I love the opportunity to come and celebrate. I'll say this about worship. Some of us have a hard time during the worship experience. In fact, some of you come late, and I'm not judging you, but just hear what I'm saying as a pastor. I'm not here to be popular. I'm here to be a good pastor. But sometimes we're not comfortable with a public display of affection for God because we're lacking a private devotion for God. I have no problem expressing love for my family over there. Half of them are there. My other son's somewhere there. And then Madison's somewhere. Anyway, the point is, I, you could, I could put them up here, hold their hand in public, kiss them, talk about them. Why? Because I have a private intimacy with my family, children, and wife, so it's no problem being public about it. I submit to you, it's similar with your relationship with God. If you struggle with that, I'm saying fire up your private devotion and it will affect your public affection. That's a good word. I pray that you're receiving what I'm saying right now. Where, as a question, don't answer this out loud, is your love or passion for God on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being hot, boiling, fervent, on fire for God? He wants you, and I hope you see it clear as a bell, to be on fire for God. Worship in the New Testament The word for worship in the Greek is proskuneu. You don't have to remember that word. Trust me, that's the word. And this is what it means. It means to kiss. Now, it's not the kiss of lovers, though. It's not like that. The the, the commentaries, two of them actually say something like this. It's like a master coming home, and one of his dogs greets him, like pursues him, and chases him all around until the master bends down and gives him his attention. And as he bends down, the dog begins to lick his face and kiss his face. That's the word, worship. There's this ardent pursuit of something or someone. That's what Worship is like, let me, let me modernize it. When, when, when my daughter Madison was young, she's still this way today. She's my most affectionate child of all that I have, uh, all my children, all, six of them. And, and, and she, when she was little, she would want daddy's attention. And I remember working on the phone in my bedroom, and she was coming in, and she was trying to get my attention. I felt like she was trying to distract me, but she was just trying to get my attention. And she'd be pulling on me, and then she started, like, rubbing my side. And then she's, she knows the magic. It's like, it's like this magic eight ball. She started rubbing my head, you know, like genie in the lamp. And it usually works, but this time it do, didn't. And I'm like, Madison, Madison, you know, I'm, I'm, do, I'm, I'm saving people's lives right now. Come on, just be quiet. And so finally, this little three- or four-year-old girl straddles my waist. I'm laying on my back on the bed. She straddles my waist, grabs my face. And I said, hey, can you hang on just a second? Madison, what do you want? She grabs my face. She pulls her face real close. She goes, how about we make a kiss? I said, buddy, I'm going to have to call you back. <laughs> That's the word. It's just, it's this affection towards. The Bible says in Colossians 3, set your affections on things above, not on earthly things. That's what it looks like. That's what worship looks like. Is everybody tracking with me out there? He wants you to want him. Some of you want his handouts more than you want his face. 
He wants you to seek his face, not just seek his hand. And it's so common for us to get over into those other, you know, lanes instead of just wants. Sometimes the Bible says, you know, seek me and you'll find me if you seek me with your, what, whole heart. Why? Because he's probably hiding in a sense. He's not just, hey, I'm right here. I'm, I'm easy. I'm accessible. No, he wants you to want him. Some of us, about 60 seconds of effort, we're like, ah, God's not interested in me. I'm mad at him, you know. He wants you to want him. But if you seek him, a true worshiper will seek him like that. In fact, John 4, 23 says it like this. Are you getting something out of this, church? It says, yet a time is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers, everybody say true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. True worship will pursue. True worship is Ardent pursuit of someone or something. David had this figured out. King David was an imperfect man, but he, he was a man after God's own heart. Why? He was a worshiper. On his worst day, he worshiped God. His son was dying and then died. He was worshiping. When he was, uh, you know, looking for his family, and they were, they, were, they were taken from him, you know, at the battle at Ziklag, he went in and he worshipped. He, he was a worshiper. And God put favor on his life and on his, his kingdom because he was a worshiper. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, you can look it up on your own. There's just this unbelievable, I don't know, insight that I pray the Holy Spirit can transfer to you. But there's things contained in the Old Testament that, that we practice differently in the new, but the principle's the same. So, so David in the Old Testament had to go get the Ark of the Covenant, which was basically God on location in a box, his manifest presence. Now, his presence is with us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we carry that around with us. But back then, it was in a box. That's the Old Testament, Old Covenant. We got a better deal, New Covenant, New Deal, New Testament. That's what it means. So, Jesus, so, so David, excuse me, goes to get this, this covenant to bring the blessing back because he knew the blessing was in the presence of God and bring it back to the holy city. And as he's going back to the holy city on this eight-mile journey, every six steps that he would go, he would bring sacrifices and he would worship. It was an eight-mile journey. It was a lot of steps, 14,000 steps with the average stride of a man. That means every six steps there was a sacrifice. That means there was 2,300 sacrifices on the road to the holy city. That means along the way he would cut up and then he would cut up. He would, he would sacrifice an animal and then they'd worship. Is everybody tracking with that? That was funny. You guys missed that. He'd cut up and then he'd cut up. Okay, and so... What, it's, what it reveals is, is that, God, I don't want to go very far in my life without putting you first. We are the sacrifice of praise. We bring a sacrifice of praise, the Bible says, unto the house of our God. See, we're a living sacrifice now. We don't bring sacrifices anymore. That's Old Testament. New Testament is, though, we bring sacrifice. What is that? Worship. Putting him first. How often? Regularly. What does that look like in the Old Testament? Every six steps. So the favor of God stays in my life. It's referring to a continuous, ongoing, progressive, maintain, maintaining relationship with the presence of God along the way. Is everybody getting what I'm saying? This is important to you guys, okay? And so I did some research, you know, on this whole thing, and it just, it just kept popping at me over and over and over again. And his own wife sees him come back into the Holy City, and she was embarrassed. 
Why? Why? Well, because she saw him. He's probably all sweaty because he'd been dancing for like eight miles, cutting up. And so he's got his shirt off, apparently. And so she's all embarrassed, and, and, and she calls him on that, and she, he speaks back in so many words, my paraphrase. You know what? You know what, honey? I'm going to be even more undignified than this because I'm going to worship God. And all those people that you think are looking at me one way, they will honor me and they will honor God. You know why? Because passion attracts people to God. True worship will not draw people to yourself. True worship will draw people to God. When I'm loving my wife the way Christ loved the church, people won't look at me a wrong way or look at somebody the wrong way. They'll want what we have. And it's the same way when you worship God with a passion and with a contagious uh, anointing on your life. This is good. This is good, and it's blessing me, even if it's not blessing you. Amen? Many of you know that I was the worship leader for the, some of you that were here years ago. It's been a long time now, but I, I, I feel so out of, out of uh, capability of doing something like that now. But I remember, you know, I was, I was a singer and I was a musician. And... The interesting part is, I love music, but I don't like musicals, except one. This one musical that I did like uh, growing up was Fiddler on the Roof. Has anybody ever seen this musical? Come on, help me out. Don't leave me out here hanging by myself. Anybody? Fiddler on the Roof? Okay, well, let me give you the cliff notes if you haven't. If you try to watch it now, it's like 14 hours long, okay? So I'm sorry. But I still liked it. What I liked was the story, and it's the story of a father who was raised on tradition, and he actually had this song, Tradition, Tradition. Anyway, you have to watch that on your own. He actually did this thing. I don't know what it means. Um, but the issue was, the tradition was that you would matchmake your children. You would, in, and the, the, the matchmaker in marriage, that's where you get the song, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match, right? Find me a fine, catch me a catch. That's from that song. And so, his dilemma was, this tradition was really important to him, but his girls were passionate about some other boys. And he's frustrated. And he's struggling. And he's like, no, tradition, tradition. And they're like, but these boys are so cute, so cute. You know, and so there's this little, there's this war. There's this war going on. So that's frustrating him. But then it kind of hits him. And so he gets behind closed doors. He shuts the door, and he goes in to see his wife, who a matchmaker put he and his wife together 25 years before. And he goes to see his wife, and he walks in, and she's doing some chores in the house, and she's ironing or something. And he goes, and he comes in, and he goes, do you love me? She looks at him kind of funny, like, what? What are you talking about? And she do you love me? And then she does some song, and I can't do it, but she's just like, what are you talking about? I've ironed your clothes, I've washed your face, blah, 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 I've done the laundry, blah, 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 I've cleaned your dirty underwear. And she goes through this whole list of things that she's done for him all these 25 years. Of, like, in other words, to say, of course I love you. And he says, but do you love me? And she's perplexed. And what this, this incredible story is saying is, I know what you do for me, but do you love me? And I'm just telling you, the Spirit of God is trying to say that to you today. Yeah, I understand. You don't understand, Pastor Derek. I've been here from the beginning. I've been going to this church, bless God, 25 years. I've been in 29 small groups, and I've served the socks off of people, and I've, been, I've probably given a million dollars to this church. Yeah, but do you love me? Yeah. Amen. Just to put it on me, 
this is so hard for me because I'm a doer. Like I liked, I like to get things done. I like achievements, check boxes, cross T's, dot I's. I don't want to just sit at the feet of Jesus. That's hard for me. I get it, but it's hard for me. It's hard for me to just honor him. It's hard for me with my time and just be still and know that he is God because I like action. But he appreciates, and you need to know this, he appreciates when you can see that it's about his face, not his hand. You, he, Mary and Martha, he, he's, he's, he's proud of Martha, but he recognized Mary more. And so God was speaking to me and says, you know, son, don't leave your love for me in exchange for works, for good works. That's what you gave up when you came to me in the first place. See, this is one of the final messages of Jesus' life in the final week of his life. Give me your heart, your soul, and your mind. You know, everything you have, and I just pray the Spirit of God speaks to you. Yeah, but you know, I've done a lot of good things, and I've done this, and I don't, I don't eat devil's food cake, and I eat angel's food cake, whatever. <laughs> just remember, God is asking you, yeah, but do you love me? Do you love me? Number two, write this down. Have a passion for prayer. Have a passion for prayer. This is an area I really struggle with as well. It's a terrible confession for a pastor, but the reason is because I'm a bottom line, results-oriented, let's do it now. But if I'm parenthetically in the, in the in, if I'm parenthetically, if I'm honest, let's do it now in the natural. And I am deceived sometimes because I think I'll get more done in the natural than I will in the supernatural. But the reality is far more is accomplished on your knees that can be done with your own hands. Can I have an amen out there? And I got to see that. And sometimes, just so you know, as a pastor, as your pastor, the reason we have seasons of prayer and fasting in, in, in the new year, in the fall, and sometimes we do some things that are not as public to you guys, is for me. It's selfish because I need a shot in the arm because I forget. And I think you do too. And sometimes I think we don't, we don't participate in those things, which, which is very revealing, you know. And those things are for you. To get back on track for God to, because your passions have been misplaced. And to reorder your lives to reflect the things that you say you believe in. Can I have an amen out there? James chapter 5 verse 16 says it like this. Um, it says, where is it? It's, it's, it? They don't have the whole scripture here. But it says, the effectual fervent prayers, 16b says, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much effectual, fervent, that means zealous, passionate prayers accomplish a lot. Then it encourages us and says, Elijah, a guy just like you and me, did that, and he accomplished a lot. Stopped the rain for three and a half years. That's pretty impressive. Can I have an amen out there? And so this is huge. I want you to fire it up in your prayer life. Number three, write this down. Have, have a passion for purity. Oh, this could be a whole series. Never mind message. But... You know why you need to have purity a priority? It's because impurity is passionate about you. That's why. <laughs> See, the Bible says that the devil, in so many words, works overtime. What is he working overtime to do? Just toxify your life. Just to take you out, to kill, kill, steal, and destroy. The devil's working harder at you being impure than you're working at being pure. He is. Purity, here's the incentive though. And I, 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 wish, I wish 
what I'm going to say was more practiced than it is. But purity and power are partners. Why, why is that important? Because one of our values at, at Connect is, and one of the things my son talks about a lot is, we believe in the power of God. We do. And we see God do mighty, miraculous things. But let me just say something in all honesty. Not the way it should be. Not at the frequency, volume, or magnitude that it should be. You know why? A lack of purity. Listen to me as a pastor. It's a lack of purity. Because purity, God will not use an unclean vessel. He won't. That doesn't mean that you're sinless because it's imputed righteousness that we receive from God, but we don't willfully continue to sin according to 1 John chapter 5. We, we are progressively sinning less as we pursue and are passionate about the things of God. Those that are born of God, the Bible says, do not continue to sin. That means you're progressively walking away from things. The closer I got to God, it purified my tongue. I used to curse like a sailor when I was a newborn Christian. Now I don't even think swears in my head. God purified me because I became more like Christ. Now, there's other areas that need to be purified and sanctified, but I'm just giving you an example of one. In Romans chapter 12, the Bible says it like this. It says, love must be sincere. It says, hate, hate what is evil. Look at these passionate words. Hate, cling to what is good. Look at this next passionate word. Never never be lacking in zeal. I'm not sure there's many places in the entire Bible that use the word never, and the never is used to stay on fire for God. Never be lacking in passion for, for your fervency, your white-hot, boiling, ardent pursuit of God. Never, never lack that is what he's saying there. Listen, hate what is evil? I, I, I just, I, I don't even think we blush anymore at what's evil. I think about things, I was on vacation and I was just telling Pastor Deej this, uh, just in the break between services, I was just saying, you know, I was mindful of my defaults in my spiritual disciplines have been sidelined a little bit. Things that were concrete in me, I've let go of. I need to get back. Did you, are you guys tracking with me right now? Can you handle this honesty? Does this make anybody uneasy? I'm just saying to you, there were certain things that were just, mm, I just do these, and, and they're just a part of who I am, and it shaped my character, and it was just a part of who I was. But my defaults were even, why? Misplaced passions, basically. I just let certain impurities in, too much Netflix, too much self, 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 self stuff, too much social media. Before you know it, my passions are over here, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hating what is evil. I won't look at that too long. Didn't need to look at that. The Bible says hate what is evil. They're just things that like sin has become normalized. We're, we're, we're literally, we're literally um, immune sometimes to the effects of sin. And I'm not trying to get judgmental or con condemning. Please don't hear that. That's just the devil lying to you. That's just condemnation. I'm just trying to say to you, the Bible says these passionate words. Hate what is evil. Cling to that which is good. Never be lacking in your spiritual zeal and fervor for God. Are you there? See, how do you do that? Romans 12, 21 says we overcome evil with good. That means when you're dealing with all the weeds in your life and you're looking at all this, oh my gosh, I have so much work to do. No, just overseed, kill the weed. Just go back to those spiritual disciplines. Get up first thing in the morning. Don't, the, the Lord was rebuking me. I was in the restroom at my house and I went right to Instagram. God, God said, that's an idol and you shall have no other gods before me, son. You went to that before you went to my word. It's an example. Are you guys getting what I'm saying right now? 
you got to put him first. Go back to those things first. If I was reading the word and I was worshiping God in a quiet place with God somewhere in my home, I wouldn't have done that. That wouldn't have the effect on me that it did. You overseed, you kill the weed. Does that make sense? This is good. This is good to help a lot of people. The question is, do you hate sin? We need to overcome it with good. Samson didn't see this. He had a call of God. Some of you are mighty men and women of God. And because of progressive sin, meaning if you don't hate that which is evil, sin will slowly begin and progressively begin to take over your life. Samson, Samson was at one point bound because he, he, allowed, he broke a vow. Later, he had his eyes plucked out. He was blind. And later, progressively, he was grinding grain in the bowels of a prison. His eyes, his strength, and almost his purpose was taken from him because of progressive sin, because of misplaced passion. God's trying to say, hate that which is evil. Cling to that which is good. Final point, is everybody getting something out of this? Number four, have a passion for people. Have a passion for people. This is important, but this is so hard. You know why it's so hard? Because people are a pain in the neck. People are prickly. People are problem-oriented. People are self-centered. People are me, 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 me. And as it relates to church, because I can't do all the individual examples, but as it relates to church, it means if we're going to put people first, then that means we're going to have to offer more services on the weekend and dream team. Yeah, you're going to have to serve more. It means we're going to have to give more because we're going to start campuses and we're going to help other people. It means you're going to have to care for people. It means you might have to open up your home and have a small group. It might mean you have to come to a leadership meeting because we have to know how to do better to serve the community and culture in which we live. It means we're going to have to pray for people who are hurting and who are having problems. It means, oh, I'm exhausted just talking about it, let alone doing it. I get it. But Jesus said this in John chapter 4. He said, listen to this. Look at his language. He says in John 4, my food. Everybody say my food. In other words, my nourishment for mission impossible is to do the will of him who sent me. How do I stay healthy? Do what Jesus told me. Do what my father told me to do. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus is telling you. He says, do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes, church. Look at the fields, they're ripe unto harvest. He's basically saying, not four months from now, consider this message. Not six months from now, not another year from now. Not I've retired, I'm no longer going to serve God. He's saying, right now, the harvest is ripe. Right now, the harvest is ripe. Open your eyes. And he redirects our passions. So we're going to have an altar call right now. And let me, let me just say it like this. I want you to stand to your feet pray, and pray with me. This morning in my, in my gym, I had my own altar call. I, th I thought I had to answer my own altar call before I could ask you to do that. And I hope you can hear me. I hope you can. Are you still with me, church? Are you still with me? Okay, listen. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 through 5. Jesus is talking to a church just like us. So just let's just put it in our, in our terms. Jesus says to connect. He says, I see your good deeds. Good job. He says, but I have something against you. You've left your first love. Do you love me? That's what he said to the church. And then he says, after that, he says three things. Remember this and go home and pray and study and pray and repent. Do all these things beyond today. Please, it'll bless you. He says, remember the height from which you've fallen. 
Repent for the things that you've done wrong and do the things you did at first. I'm just telling you, some of you have forgotten. The reason your passions are misplaced is because you don't realize the passion of Christ for you. You need, a, you need a fresh revelation of what Jesus did for you. You need to ask him for that by the Spirit right now. Secondly, you need to repent. Some of you need to repent for being distant, and some of you need to repent for being completely disconnected. And for those of you who are distant, and those of you who've been disconnected, you need to do what God's told you to do, which is what? You need to worship. You need to pray. You need to get your life pure, and you need to put people ahead of everybody else. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you know God is speaking to you through this message, and your passions have been misplaced, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Good night. Don't miss it. All over the room. Thank you, Jesus, for the, for the acknowledgement of that. You can put your hands down. Thank you. And now, if you're here today, this is significant. It could be the biggest day of your life, and you're disconnected from God. You've never invited God into your life. You do that by saying yes to Jesus and what he did for you. He did for many people in this room, but he can do it for you too. And I want to lead you in a prayer. I'm excited to lead you in this prayer. But if that's you and you know you're far from God, you're disconnected from God, you've never given your life fully to God, and you want to do that, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Good night. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Be cursed. Thank you. Thank you. That's you. Anybody else says, I I I'm going I'm to have the courage to give Jesus my life completely. Good. Thank you, sister. Thank you. I see your hand. Is there anybody else I'm missing so I can see you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your courage church, would you pray with these people and say this together, and then I'm going to pray over all of you. Those that just raise your hand, and the church will join you. Say, Jesus, today is the day of salvation for me. I thank you that you went on assignment from heaven to earth so that I could be with you. It was a one-way ticket to give me the only way to be in relationship with my Father. I receive right now that finished work that was done on Calvary to pay for my sins, the past, the present, and the future, I receive salvation today in Jesus' name. Now, the Father says that your name, the Word says your names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and angels rejoice. Now, Father, for every other person that's here with misplaced passions, I pray that they leave here fired up in their faith, oh God, fired up for their, their, the house of God as well, that there be a zeal, God, that literally bubbles over inside of them. Lord, for all those misplaced passions, we, we ask, Lord God, that you bring us back. You bring us back. We say yes to God, and we choose to remember. We will be quick to repent, and we will do the things that you've told us to do. In Jesus' mighty name, and the church said, amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for his word. Come on up here, Jay. God bless you guys.